Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. And the Oscar goes and to... And the Oscar goes and the Oscar to... Goes to. Gentlemen, my only object in being here is to try and get at the truth. What shall I go? What shall I do? He's looking at you, kid. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. Could have been a contender. Fasten your... I could have been somebody. They can only kill me with a golden bullet. What have I done? Call me Mr. Tibbs. I'm gonna make him an offer, kid. All real America. Love is... is love. Too weak a word. Stay back. I, I love you. I love you. I, I love you. I did as you saw. Don't laugh! If there's something wrong, it's wrong with the instructions. This ain't reality TV! Respect it and validate it. Remember that you told me? Welcome to the next Best Picture Podcast. Moonlight, Best Picture. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the next Best Picture Podcast. We have made it to half of a century, episode 50, ladies and gentlemen. Holy fuck. Over the hill. The sounds that you hear in the background are the people that are joining us for this podcast today. That is Mr. Michael Schwartz. Hello, everyone. Mr. Will Mavity. Hello, I am recording from scenic Utah en route to Los Angeles in the middle of nowhere. It's the road trip that is never ending. (laughs) And Mr. Josh Williams. What's up, everybody? So, gentlemen, episode 50. Episode 50. Jesus Christ. It's pretty wild when you really think about it. How did that happen? Ah, tenacity? Sheer force of will by Matt, let's be clear. (laughs) <laughs> he has just willed us into existence, like, I don't know, Dr. Manhattan and Watchmen or something. He just made it appear. <laughs> Not going to lie, there have been plenty of times where I have thought about giving up. Uh, most of them due to Michael. <laughs> hey. Oh. <laughs> but I have persevered through all the pain, the hardships, and yes, all the anger management lessons that I have taken up in the meantime since then. Uh, fr- uh, frustratingly enough, for all the anger management courses that I've been through uh, in regards to this show, I don't think Michael's ever gone to one yet because we still have not convinced Michael to lose his shit at me on air. It'll happen. I think it might. Don't hold your breath, Will. This is, like, going to be the ongoing thing. You're going to keep waiting, and you're never going to get it. You are, like, the most civil person I've ever heard in my life. Do you know that? You know what? I like to keep everything level-headed, very civil. Everyone gets along. Matt, if, if I brought Richard Spencer on the air, would we get some kind of anger from you? Like, if I, uh... Or maybe I brought, like, the entire staff of Breitbart to help review movies, would we find... See, I just wouldn't take them seriously. <laughs> this is so frustrating, Matt. I, I, I need something. I know, I know. But here's what we can talk about right now. We can talk about uh, stuff that we caught up on this week right now. Um, I have a couple things I want to get off my chest as far as some movies that I caught this week. Um, first off the top of my list is I saw Logan Lucky. Yeah. Ooh, I don't want to see that so this badly. This is Steven Soderbergh's uh, new film starring Channing Tatum, Adam Driver, Daniel Craig. And it, it is light, 
like Steven Soderbergh light. This isn't like a drama or this isn't a film with heavy themes or anything along those lines. This is just a pure entertaining delight. This is, and, and they even referenced this in the film at one point. This is Ocean 7-Eleven. <laughs> <laughs> How's my boy That's Craig great. introducing Daniel Craig? Craig is hysterical. Oh my God, he's so funny in this. And I've never ever seen him like this as the trailers um, obviously showed. And he's just absolutely hysterical. I mean, the accent is so over the top. And it's really funny just seeing it come from somebody that we know as James Bond. So, uh, yeah, Channing Tatum continues his winning streak, in my opinion, here, as far as just consistently surprising us and being solid in all these new movies that he's undertaking. What about Seth MacFarlane? Oh, I forgot he's in uh, Seth, Seth MacFarlane has uh, a bit role in it that is very over the top, very campy, but it works. No, Nobody in this is, like, Oscar-worthy, and the film itself isn't really Oscar-worthy. But I will also say this, though. I saw this in a theater with what was, in my opinion, the sharpest image quality and like the best sound I've ever seen in a regular standard movie theater that wasn't IMAX. And just the picture quality, the saturation of the colors and the sharpness of the HD images, because Steven Soderbergh obviously shot this on the red camera. It, it just looked incredible to me because... You know, normally I don't get that kind of level of uh, vividness or anything like that unless if I'm watching it on my HD television at home. Normally when I go to the movie theater, I'm going to like these uh, movie theater chains like AMC or UA, Regal, whatever the case may be. And the screens are not as good as what you kind of would experience at home to tell you if it's bigger. But usually it's like lower resolution. It's not as sharp. And this movie just looked phenomenal. Well, those cameras are amazing. So... I don't know if that really helped my experience with it, but I, I, I had a great time. And also, too, uh, Will, specifically for you, there is a two to three minute long extended joke revolving around Game of Thrones that had oh, really? me howling in laughter. Oh, that makes me so happy. Is it because he's missing a hand? No, 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 no. It's something so much better than that. I don't want to ruin it, uh, but... Just know it, it's long. It's like literally like its own. It, it's like its own bit in the movie, and it's like this two minute gag that just gets stretched out, and it is just oh my god, I was dying. And some other people in the uh, screening I saw it with were also laughing hysterically as well. And they were the people I most wanted to talk to afterwards because I wanted to be like, hey, you're uh, Game of Thrones fans too. <laughs> Do you think the Globes will go for it? Eh, Daniel Craig, maybe comedy uh, actor is he enough to be considered lead by their standards by their standards anybody can be lead <laughs> Just, yeah that's right the entire big short cast was lead yeah okay hugh grant and everyone well i guess he sort of hugh sort grant of was there. lead hugh grant hugh grant was more the lead than florence Foss than meryl streep in that i mean we've seen tom cruise get nominated for best supporting actor by them for tropic thunder which was an inspired choice let's be clear i love his performance <laughs> in that uh, so I saw that. I saw Wind River this week, which is, um, in terms of Taylor Sheridan's screenplays, definitely the weakest uh, compared to Sicario and Hell or High Water. But it's still really, really good um, as far as just what's written on the page is concerned. And I love the theme that travels across all three films in terms of 
the landscape, the current status of the country, and how he's exploring uh, parts of the country that are not uh, urban or suburban areas, essentially. And he's trying to tie a unifying message that this is still all one country that has just been shaped by different people's uh, experiences, economic situation, so on and so forth. Um, I really, really, really dig that. Jeremy Renner gives his best performance since uh, The Town. Oh, that's so lit. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. He really is underrated. He's not going to get an Oscar nomination for it, um, and the film will probably not get a single Oscar nomination, but as far as just crafting an adult thriller is concerned, it's a very, very solid film uh, that I wouldn't put at the level of Sicario or Hella High Water, but I found it to be um, more, more dark. It, it's definitely a very dark film. Uh, I told Matt this, but just a fun fact, you know, I've been driving across the country. I was just in the reservation that the film takes place in two days ago, which is kind of cool. It is really depressing looking, but <laughs> yeah. that's probably the point the film wants to make. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, and that pretty much was it for me this week. Um, yeah. Did you guys see anything? I did. I saw Detroit, which I know you talked about on uh, the other episode with Tommy. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, it's an important film. Everyone's going to have a different reaction to it. But I hope people go check it out and make their own decisions. And then I also saw Maudie with uh, Sally Hawkins and Ethan Hawke. Oh, yeah, yeah. I haven't had a chance to catch this one quite yet. What, What did you think? So the movie's a little long. It's only two hours, but it feels like it's a little too drawn out. But let me tell you, Sally Hawkins, I mean, there's a reason she's so great all the time. Yeah. She is really magnificent here. That's awesome. I, I, In that great lineup we had back in 2013 for Supporting Actress, that was the year of like Lupita and Jennifer Lawrence oh, and everyone. She was your personal win. I love everyone and could have made a case for everyone, but I think I would have gone with Sally because she's tremendous. And I'm looking forward to seeing her again in The Shape of Water. I think this could help her case for The Shape of Water. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we keep hearing a lot of talk about Fox is really going to try to campaign that, right? Yeah, I think they're going to try to give that a push, in the, not only in the tech categories, but they're also going to try to get Del Toro in for director, her for actress. I, I, I think that they're going to give that a push for sure. I want Academy Award-nominated director Guillermo Del Toro to be a thing so badly. It should have happened for <laughs> I think that could really happen this year. You see, like, remember in twenty or 2006, you had Del Toro, Inuri 2, and Caron, and they called them the Three Amigos? Yes. So we've already seen two of them get up there. I think it's almost Del Toro's turn. He just needs the right material. Man, when you put it like that, it just sounds so satisfying. Imagine if they pull a Martin Scorsese getting Best Director and they put uh, Alfonso and uh, Alejandro up on the stage and Guillermo's like one of the nominees. And it's like, ah, they are so telegraphing like that he's going to win basically because he's being presented it by these two. Uh, it's still to this day. I always imagine to myself, like, what if Martin Square says he did not win Best Director? Yeah, have it presented by his friends. <laughs> <laughs> it would have been so been awkward. There's so many of those moments that, like, the same with in 2013, where uh, what's her face? Mine's going blank. The host, the Ellen DeGeneres, was uh, is like one of two things happens tonight. Either 12 Years a Slave wins Best Picture or you're all racist. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, do you remember Will Smith getting up on there and he announces 12 Years a Slave and just like how 
happy and overjoyed he looked with that smile on his face. Yeah, it would it just all that would have been so awkward if like best picture goes to Philomena. <laughs> <laughs> it happened even last year with Matt Damon and Ben Affleck presenting best original screenplay and it went to uh Kenny Lonergan for Manchester, which uh Damon was a producer on. Yeah, yeah that, that that wasn't nearly as weird. That wouldn't have been nearly as weird though. No, I I know, but still you have those moments like that. I mean yeah, think about it like a you know you have Jonah Hill at SAG, you know, and presenting, and Brie Larson, uh, not Brie Larson, um, Emma Stone ends up winning, you know, and they're super bad buddies from back in the day, and like how happy he was to see her win. I, I like moments like that where um, you get the genuine reaction of oh my friend is winning, that's great, as opposed to. Brie Larson, Brie Larson reading of Casey, Casey Apple. Oh, yeah, particularly at the Globes. That was so odd. Was it the Globes or the Critics' Choice where it, she just was like... At the Globes. I think it was Critics' Choice. Oh, one visibly of displeased. Yeah. Um, cool. All right, anybody else uh, catch up on anything this week or that pretty much does that? Uh, I saw the, a ghost story this week. Oh, <gasps> yeah? Yeah. <laughs> I really liked it. Yeah, it's one of my favorites this year. It's currently battling it out for number one. I haven't decided, but it might be my new, num- my new number one of the year. What is it battling against? It comes at night. Ooh. Yeah, A Ghost Story is a film that I often refer to as a uh, quote-unquote a miracle movie. Yeah. Where it like, encompasses uh, so much that you could um, gather from a, a literary scholarly uh, written work or a conversation you could have with a... Um, philosophy teacher uh something along the lines of you you, you're really gaining insight into something that's just so much bigger than you and it really just blows your mind when you watch it and to see that communicated through the cinematic language to me there is nothing more powerful than that so um yeah that movie definitely affected me in a very very powerful and profound way yeah me too i've never seen anything like that yeah cool awesome Uh, So, for this week, we have a couple of things to uh, talk about. We are previewing uh, The Glass Castle, starring Brie Larson and Woody Harrelson. We are going to be talking about two trailers for Call Me By Your Name and also for Novitiate. We are going to also be unveiling the winner of our iTunes podcast reviews. So, uh, I wanted to first start off with that and read off um, some of those reviews that were left by you guys the listeners out there thank you so much for the kind words and the feedback we really really do appreciate it these are some of the reviews which we received this week um from steve arino 83 this is a fantastic podcast the topics discussed are fun and original each member brings their own taste in movies causing the discussions to be informative and hilarious and that was five stars uh we also have i wonder who this is from Film Guy 619. I know that's you, Matt St. Clair. I enjoy listening to the next Best Picture podcast every single week. I love how informative Matt and Co. are about the world of film. And what do we got here? Oh, this is from a Game of Thrones fan. Must have listened to one of our Game of Thrones uh, episodes on Next Best Series. Matt knows every single thing there is to know about the land of Westeros. <laughs> Without a doubt, the best Game of Thrones podcast out there. Fast release time following each episode. Highly recommend to any Game of Thrones fan looking to gain both perspective and knowledge. And that was from Mikey Stark 1234. That's pretty high praise if you're the best Thrones podcast out there. God damn. I, I humbly decline, but at the same time, thank you. 
And what else do we have here? We had a, we did have a couple. Uh, we also have yes, uh, this one here. This is from J.R. Parm. The mark of a great podcast is how easy one finds the temptation to stop and join in on the conversation because you're so engaged by the discussion. That's what you'll find here. I discovered this podcast during last year's Oscar season and have been addicted since. The casual attitude makes for the discussions uh, rich and interesting, and all the hosts have a good rapport with, with each other, particularly the core of Matt, Will, and Michael. Sorry, Josh. Everyone on the show has interesting viewpoints, and they are a joy to listen to, especially if you are an awards junkie like me. And that was five stars. And I put all those reviews into a randomizer, and the winner of this week's contest is J.R. Parm. Woo! So thank you for those kind words. I will be sure to send you a direct message to let you know that you won this week's contest. And I will give you your prize. Thank you once again for everybody that hopped on, gave us a rating, sent us some feedback. Once again, it's something that's really, truly appreciated and helps keep us going, making sure that we're doing, obviously, the right thing in this world. So kudos to all of you. Speaking of fan feedback, we have some fan questions as well. So we're going to dive into that right now. Uh, Toby Hill at Sled Camera 17 what movie or movies did you not care for, but you have uh, had your opinion changed on later viewings? So anything that you saw the first time and you were like, eh, but then on a, on a rewatch, you liked it a lot more. Uh, I hated Birdman the first time I watched it. Oh, no. Really? But since I've since rewatched it and my rewatch, I fell in love with it. W- what was it about it that you didn't like the first time? The one take ruined the movie for me. Oh, is it because you knew it wasn't one take, or you just thought it was gimmicky? Well, th- not even not even that. Just like that, it it took me out of the moment. Because whenever we would come in and see like an acting scene, I thought the acting was really good, and it brought me into like the characters. But then the second we would go follow Michael Keaton around for five minutes, I was annoyed. I was like, stop, just sit and focus on a scene for a minute. So every time they would just like go do the crazy one take for a little bit, it drew me out of the moment. Mm. Hmm. Well. Um, this isn't one that necessarily I didn't like. I think the first time I saw Spotlight, I was very underwhelmed. And it was one of those that when I revisited a year later, separate from the Oscar season, um, and appreciated more of its nuances, I came to like a lot more as a Best Picture winner. I never disliked it, but it definitely rose in my estimation and seemed like a much more deserving winner in hindsight. Yeah, I actually echo that statement as well. It's not my choice to answer this question, but I too felt the same way where I was a little slightly underwhelmed and I thought it was a solid film, but I remember walking out of there thinking to myself, oh, that's not going to win Best Picture. That was just a really solidly well-crafted film with good acting and really, really great writing. I... I remember just walking out of here and not thinking that was our best picture winner. And sure enough, I remember that year when I saw The Revenant. I I had that predicted all the way through to the end. But uh, yeah, joke was on me that year. So, Michael? So, I don't think I've ever done like a total 360 where I go from hating something to loving it. Wouldn't it be a 180, Michael? <laughs> or 180, whatever it is. <laughs> 360, 180. <laughs> I came back to exactly what I thought before. <laughs> I'm too early to do math. <laughs> anyway, uh, 
Total 180. We could cut that part out. <laughs> uh, Keep it in So back. I don't think I've ever gone from really hating to loving. But the closest in a recent example is Arrival, which the first time I saw it, I was a little tepid. I was like, um, I, I don't know how I feel about this. It's just... To me, it was just another sci-fi movie. I remember calling you out on this, too, and being like, no, Michael, no. And you you were telling me, like, oh, I was just in the wrong headspace maybe while watching it, or I just didn't get it. And I was like, you don't understand the greatness that is Arrival. <laughs> Granted, I did see the movie, like, three days after the election. So my mind wasn't really in the place it should have been. But then I went back to go see it a couple months later. And, you know, the mother storyline really resonated in a way it didn't the first time around and just being able to appreciate it from another perspective. That's what was my way of getting into it. And now I love it. Cool. Uh, probably my most famous example of all time will forever be no country for old men. You didn't like that. The first that's sick. That's sick, man. I mean, you got to remember I'm 17 years old. The first time I watched it, I saw it in theaters. I was like really excited because I was able to see R rated movies on my own. And I don't think I was mature enough to understand it on a first-time viewing. I don't think I understood what the film was trying to do at 17 years of age. And I remember being very underwhelmed by it. I remember even being a little slightly bored by it. Maybe because the lack of a musical score. I really honestly can't recall. Because now, it's like one of the best Best Picture winners of all time. Oh, it's amazing. it's It's an immaculate film. Well, that happens when we're younger, too. I'm sure we all have examples of seeing something in middle school or high school, not really quote unquote getting it. Oh, yeah. And then going around to it later. I remember when I first saw uh, Zodiac and I was underwhelmed by that too, actually. That was the same year. You were killing me, man. No, no, no. But upon rewatches, I I love Zodiac now. I think Zodiac is one of David Fincher's uh, strongest efforts he's ever done. But I just remember going in expecting another film like Seven. And when I found out it wasn't that, you know what I mean? So, all right, good question. I really enjoyed that one. Uh, what else do we have here as far as fan questions are concerned? <laughs> I like this one. Devil May Pie. This is at Devil May Pie Zero on Twitter. Do those short mini trailers before an actual trailer bother you guys as much as it does me? Trailers are short as it, as it is. What is the point? Yes. Oh, yes. my God. I've them. really never given it a second. They are mad the shit out of me. Uh, to be honest with you, it's the reason why we're not covering the uh, Mother Teaser trailer this week. Because it's just not enough footage for me to really even... I just... Plus, I also don't want to give credibility to these. I, I think they're terrible. I, I, I hate them so much it's it's really all it is is it's a form of advertising clickbait so when people are scrolling through their feeds they have something that they can watch very very quickly easily digest and then they can keep scrolling afterwards it's it's stupid i hate it but it works you're talking about it i'm talking about it from a negative standpoint (laughs) well the mother one for instance but michael we talk about donald trump when he says something we don't like it doesn't mean it's a good thing you know, I, I, in a sense that it gets you talking about the movie. It's a form of advertising that I, I can see why some people don't like the quick little thing. But uh, I can't say it bugs me. But as we've established, nothing seems to bug me. So, <laughs> hey, Michael, I absolutely love Donald Trump. I'm going to vote for him again. <laughs> That's your problem. <laughs> um, that would be like a Kaiser Soze level twist if like uh, Matt had been like a secret like 
Frumper and was trying to red pill us all throughout like the course of six months. <laughs> the red pill and the blue pill was that your reference just there? Oh, it's 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 a, it's an online term. It's like I thought you were making like a reference to the Matrix there for a second. Oh, it, it's based on the Matrix. It's this is not a direction the podcast needs to go. But that was really that was really funny though. We just tied politics to movie references like that. That was that was good, Will. Uh, that's okay, Matt. You live in New York, though, so it wouldn't count. Yeah, that's a good point, too. I mean, although I do live on uh, Long Island, New York, and Long Island is unfortunately red, so... Oh, speaking of that, did we hear that Cynthia Nixon is considering running for governor yes. of New York? Yes, she's going to primary Chris, Chris Cuomo. I can't talk. Chris Cuomo. That is wow. bizarre. Would, would you would you vote for Cynthia Nixon, Matt? For best actress? For no, no, for passion? governor. Yeah. For governor. <laughs> Um, I, I don't know. I mean, this whole thing about celebrities uh, running for a political office with, like, The Rock. I'm hearing stuff about Mark Zuckerberg. I'm – ah, jeez. I throw my hands up on that one. So right now, Cynthia Nixon has a better chance of becoming governor than Best Actress winner. That's pretty wild. Michael, is, uh, is Predator the only movie that has two governors in it? I've never seen Predator. <laughs> it's got Jesse Ventura and Schwarzenegger. I mean, like, that's... <laughs> I guess so. Michael, you really should one day, like, haul up, drink, like, oodles of booze, and just watch, like, some 80s action films just because. Like, iconic 80s action films. Like, basically anything with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah. Like, Commando. <laughs> Commando's my favorite. I mean, they're stupid, and they're, like... If they came out today, I have a huge feeling they would not do well critically. No, of course not. But there is there is a bizarre, nostalgic sense of um, it's so bad it's good type of quality to these films. You know what I mean? I, I don't. I, I can't really describe it because then there are other um, '80s action films like Die Hard, which, from a screenwriting standpoint, is extremely well crafted. And even though it is a genre action film, it's one of the best in the uh, whole genre as a result of how well that that screenplay is plotted out. The '80s are just weird. Yeah. Because. It, You do not need any kind of charisma. Literally, all you need is to be, like, steroidally jacked. And everyone was. Even, like, Bruce Springsteen got, like, shredded in the 80s, you know? It's, It's bizarre. So you have, like, guys like Dolph Lundgren who are leading massive franchises and the entire cast of Predator. It is... I don't know, man. Uh, Michael Schwartz, you're the political theorist. Why did that happen in the 1980s? Why was that the thing? The 80s was just a very weird, weird time. I mean, you have Reagan, and with that came this renewed feeling for, I guess, if you were like a straight white guy, suburban, uh, well-off, you it was like a time of prosperity for you. So everyone was feeling like they were at the best point of their life. lives. The 70s were over, and they just sort of went along and became fitness people and, you know, yuppies, all of that. It was just a very weird time. You know what's really interesting, too, uh, when you think about the 80s and how you really didn't need, you know, to your point, Will, great acting chops to sell a movie. They, they, the stars sold the movie because they were larger-than-life figures. And that is a concept that nowadays is truly lost, I believe, in modern cinema. You know, IPs now sell, not the actors that are tied to the film itself, I feel like. 
Yeah, it's like people think Dwayne Johnson is one of the biggest stars, but you look at Baywatch and his show Ballers on HBO, like who's watching that aside from Elizabeth Warren? Dwayne Johnson chooses franchises and the franchises happen to sell well. I mean, like, and something like San Andreas did well because big budget CGI disaster films often do well. I think there are two exceptions still. Um, it used to be Will Smith, obviously not anymore. Nope. I think DiCap- DiCaprio can still do it. DiCaprio is the only movie star, the only one I believe today that does not have his name tied to a franchise or a specific IP of any kind. And The Revenant, let, let's be clear, like The Revenant without the DiCaprio Oscar narrative would not have broken 100 million. I mean, like, that that was all him. And then I think, although Fences didn't do quite as well as some people hoped, Denzel, pretty much anything he puts his name on is going to be a $100 million hit. So I think he still classifies as the classic movie star. Uh, you know what? Uh, so Denzel, I just realized, also doesn't have an IP tied to him as well. I don't believe, unless if you want to count something like The Equalizer, um, if they're doing, are they doing a sequel for that? I can't remember. It's been talked about. I don't know if it'll ever go anywhere. Yeah, but somebody that does not have like a franchise like tied to them, um, that can still sell a movie on their own, uh, like, I think Brad Pitt still has that ability. Although he seems to be taking more of a supporting role, it seems like, nowadays. And the films that he does lead don't tend to do well anymore. So I think he's failing. Yeah, and he's jumped on board the uh, future Oscar-nominated World War Z franchise. Oh, yeah, that's true. The D- David Fincher's World War Z. I, I still am... I got my fingers crossed for that one. That's going to be an interesting experience. I have my doubts. I'm like Meryl Streep, you know? I, I, I have <laughs> my doubts. I think Michael Schwartz will probably do a better impression of that. Michael Schwartz, can you give us a Meryl Streep impression? Oh, God, where to start? <laughs> Just say I have such doubts. What's the line of us stepping outside the church? How dare you step outside the church? <laughs> <laughs> God damn it. Can I do my Jeff Bridges impression? I can kind of do Jeff Bridges. Let's hear your Jeff Bridges. Uh, what do you, like, Hell or High Water Jeff Bridges, or like... Uh, Hell or High Water slash True Grit. Um, and Hell or High Water, he's like, the guy's like, are you sure you don't want me to shoot him? You're kind of shaky, and he's like, the fuck I want, it's my gun. <laughs> By the time we get to Smart Ford Smith, them boys gonna be swelled up tight as Dick's hat, man. The show. I'm willing to sing Crazy Heart to commemorate the 50th episode. Ooh. Pick up the crazy heart, give it one more try. You want to you give it a try, Michael? Uh, I think I'll pass, actually. God, no, Michael, you can't, You just blue-balled me. There you can't ain't do that. no place for the weary kind. Pick up the crazy heart and give it one more try. <laughs> there ain't no problem, Robbie. That's a great song, by the way. Let's be clear. T-Bone Burnett, dude. Seriously, anything he ties his name to nowadays in the movie world is just such gold on a musical level. Fucking Inside Lewin Davis, man. Was it the New York film critics uh, that the people always joke that they might as well name their best music category? They might as well rename it the T-Bone Burnett Award? <laughs> Something like that, yeah. Because it's like everything he's ever had his name on has won their music category. I love when Meryl Streep won the Golden Globe for Julie and Julia and says, uh, oh, should have named myself T-Bone. <laughs> uh, speaking of... Um music categories here and uh, just uh, kind of segueing over to text for a minute uh, we have a question from Matt St. Clair film guy 619 and the question that he sends in is uh, 
Because snubs in tech categories don't seem to cause as much outrage as acting uh, nominations do, name one particular Oscar snub in a tech category that you found absolutely egregious. Just one. Yeah, I was going to say, this This usually infuriates me more than the above-the-line snubs. Um, Beasts of the Southern Wild for original score was pretty horrendous, I would say. And I'm also going to throw in... Um, Okay, I'll see if anyone else says it. So everyone else give theirs, and there's a couple more I want to contribute after. I'm trying to think if I've ever been upset. Matt, about since Dunkirk came out, I'm going to let you say one that I assume is on your mind, since everyone's talking about Lee Smith's editing, right? It, it, it's amazing that you were able to read my mind like that, actually. Yeah, Lee Smith should have gotten an Oscar nomination for editing Inception. Like, that's that, absurd. That is That really was the quote-unquote winner, probably, um, and it, once it wasn't nominated, it was just like, oh, well, I guess they're going to give it to the social network. And that is exactly what happened. It, that, uh, I still do not understand how that happened to this day. So, you know what my pick is for a uh, tech snub? Just across the line, Cloud Atlas. Oh, man. Makeup. Makeup, score, production design, costume, cinematography. Yeah. Oh, that's a great choice. Like, it got nothing. Yeah, it, it maddens me. I mean, I think the yellow face controversy heard it in makeup, but the, the score snub is just absurd there. It, it should have cleaned up in the text. I love that movie. I really, really love it. Yeah, that's a really underrated movie that I think years from now people will hopefully uh, be able to appreciate so much more. But, you know, another one that also comes to mind somewhat, um, did The Matrix, no, The Matrix did not get a Best Cinematography nomination for Bill Pope. No, that's bizarre. But it won editing. Yeah, it won all the Oscars it was nominated for, sound editing, mixing, visual effects, and editing. But uh, it did not get a cinematography nomination. If we're going back into the 90s, I never understood Last of the Mohicans is such a weird instance of the Oscars. It was very acclaimed. I think it got an ASC nomination. I think it got a Golden Globe nomination for its score. And then they clearly liked it because they gave it a win for sound. But you would think, like, its cinematography and particularly its score would have been nominated. You know, that iconic... You know what I'm talking about, right? I do. It sounds a lot better when Randy Edelman does it, let me tell you. But that should have been nominated. That's absurd. I'll tell you this, too. Another one that just came to my mind, actually, as far as this should have won the category and it wasn't even nominated. Andrew Lesney's work on The Lord of the Rings The Return of the King. Yeah, that's not weird. even being nominated is so, so weird. That was weird. Like you sweep the whole night and don't even get nominated by the cinematographers. And it won uh, the majority of the critics awards that year as well. And like it, it yeah, it, it would have won. It would have set the all time record without a doubt. Yeah, that's bizarre. Um, Wolf of Wall Street for editing. No idea how that I was going to say that, too. Thelma Schoonmacher missing for that is just weird. Yeah, especially when you found out, like, all the work that went into with all the footage that they had to assemble together, especially as far as, like, you know, different takes and the improvisation that was happening on set. That is a very, very weird Although, one. if you do look at one thing, and this is a very, very minor instance in the movie, and I don't even know if it would be a part of editing, when he pulls into the strip mall toward the beginning of the movie... There's like a blur on the screen. Like you could see two frames crossing over each other in a weird way. I don't think that's why they lost. No, I think they lost because of the film's uh, runtime. If I had to, if yeah, I had no, to I'm just saying. Like if you 
look at individual things, like something there, it's not like free of flaws. But neither is Schindler's List. Schindler's List is a terrible cut in like the first five minutes when it goes panning, uh, tilting up on the train and then cuts back uh, to a separate shot that's clearly a different train. In one of the best edited movies of all time, you have a terrible cut. It's also three hours long, and it won the category. So, you know, I feel... Yeah, I mean, you're going to find that in everything. It's just interesting to know. Another example of, like, Delma Schumacher's uh, work here is uh, The Departed. The, the Departed has some terrible continuity errors uh, when you watch it. There, uh, the, the part that always stands out to me is, um, and I don't know if anybody can remember this... But there's a scene where Matt Damon and Mark Wahlberg are, like, fighting in the police station and Alec Baldwin's kind of, like, in between them. And one moment he's literally, like, touching them like he's so close to, in between them. And then the, the it cuts to a wide shot and Alec Baldwin's like, all right, knock it off! And he's totally far away from them now and they're, like, really, really separated from him. And it's just a very, very weird, like, jarring edit that um, I, I get why they made it because it's, like, impactful for Alec Baldwin to break up the fight. But... <laughs> those actors literally moved five feet away from him in a split second and it made no sense <laughs> I got I got one um, everything for drive like in its text you got that sound editing nomination the lone sound editing nom the one sound <laughs> editing nomination but it's it's and it, while we're talking about films that got a lone sound editing nomination I think if Fight Club had come out now I know that's like the, the archetype of quote unquote bro cinema now and it's like, everyone loves to shit on Fight Club. But that's an incredibly well-made movie. That deserved editing, sound mixing, cinematography nominations, without a doubt. Would we agree with that, even if you don't like the film as a whole? I would say the texts are definitely worthy. Sure. Yeah, sure, it's well-made, I guess. And as much as they like Fincher now, or Fincher films, it seems like it probably would show up. It came out, like, 15 years later. Sunshine. Sunshine for original score. Oh, Yeah. That's a that's a number. That is one. iconic. Can we also uh, just uh, because uh, just staying with Fincher for a moment? How the hell did Gone Girl not get anything except Best Actress? I was going to mention it for score. Yeah, and editing. Editing is absolutely. Well. Oh my god, Gone Girl was my second favorite film of 2014. So wow. I really wish it got a lot more than it did. Yeah, that was very upsetting. Uh, that was oh god. I mean. You know, you can look at so many examples. Obviously, this is a loaded question, and we could be here all day talking about this. There always seems to be a situation where a film will sometimes get, like, everything it is supposed to get, quote-unquote, and then there's just that one thing that is missing. And, like, last year we saw it with Arrival uh, with Amy Adams, where that film got every nomination it was supposed to get in every category. Yeah. Or Lincoln missing makeup, not even making the shortlist. Uh, that's a that's another. Oh yeah, I don't know how a film like that could miss out on makeup. That's you got twelve so nominations weird. and just miss that one. Yeah, like you transformed Daniel Day Lewis into the president. Oh, and all the makeup, the wigs, et cetera, et cetera, and everyone was good. Um, it, Alice in Wonderland for best makeup, terrible film. That's that should have won, right? And it's not like. They didn't like it just because it was a bad film. It won two other texts, and they gave it to the even worse The Wolfman that year. <laughs> I'm not even going to advocate anything positive for Alice in Wonderland. <laughs> oh, it looks good, though. Okay. Sure. Fuck that movie. <laughs> I, I hate that movie. Matt, I, I sympathize. I despise that movie. Freaking Johnny Depp breakdancing. 
what the hell was Wait, going on? Wait, let's just realize really quick while we're on Alice in Wonderland that there was a sequel that came out last year. Yeah, that that's the total weird. domestic gross of that movie is less than the original made on opening weekend. Good. That's what I say. Good. Are you, what do you like, uh, John DuPont and Foxcatcher? Good. <laughs> Good. Hello everyone, this is JD from the In Session Film Podcast. Each week we review the latest from Hollywood, California. Well, yes, Brendan. We also give top three lists. Okay, yeah. Thanks again, Brendan. Additionally, you can hear us talk other movie news, trailers, varying movie series, or other interesting film-related topics, and even rants and raves of the week. That's correct, Brendan. On top of our main show, every Friday... You can also hear our extra film podcasts. Good job, Brendan. Thank you, JD. It's my goal to make you proud. You're the father after all. <laughs> yes, and I'm very proud. Uh, you can listen to the In Session Film podcast on... iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or at InSessionFilm.com. Brendan, will you please let me complete just one... Nope. Oh, for heaven's sake. Listen to the In Session Film podcast every Monday and Friday. Subscribe today and hear me verbally beat JD like a Cherokee drum. No, 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 no. That's not kidding? how this works, sir. Hey, no, you, you, no, no, you no. go cry at Midnight Special again, oh, okay? That's okay. what you're I good will. for. I will. You know what? And I'll do it while pummeling you. I'll do both at the same time. How are you going to pummel me? Yeah, I, I don't, I don't buy it. That's just how it works. <laughs> All right. So now I want to uh, segue over into uh, this week's poll. Thank you, everyone, so much for sending in your fan questions for this week's episode. We really, really appreciate it. And now we're going to talk about what everybody voted on for last week's uh, question. Last week's was uh, about the Mark Bull, Catherine Bigelow collaboration. And we asked everybody what was their uh, favorite film that they have collaborated on so far. There were only three so choices. So many choices. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? So it was The Hurt Locker, Zero Dark Thirty, and Detroit. Leading the way with 71.43% of the vote. Can anyone take a guess? The Hurt Locker. Hurt Locker. Hurt Locker. Zero Dark Thirty. Yay. Ah. Hurt Locker is obviously, I guess, not as beloved as uh, as it probably once was. I, I Or just people prefer Zero Dark Thirty more. I Hurt love Locker Zero Dark Thirty. Hurt Locker came in uh, second place with 28.5% of the vote, while poor Detroit, uh, after suffering a opening weekend box office of only $7 million, it also managed to only get... Nope. Didn't even get one vote. Got zero votes. <laughs> Is, is the controversy, you think, is that going to really harm the film's box office? It already has. Yeah, but I mean, is that, is that what we think is to blame here? Is that yeah, why? nobody's going to walk out of that movie and go to their friends and family and say, oh my god, you need to see this movie. No, nobody's going to do that. I think it's going to harm its Oscar nominations. Yeah, I could definitely see that. Yeah, the, the, the Detroit could be the lone sound editing nominee this year. That, or it'll get, like, just get in for like Best Picture, and that's it. That's what I was thinking when I watched it. Like, I don't see any of the branches going to vote for it like that. But when you think about what people are going to put as their number one movie of the year, with this new Academy, there could be a few people in there who say, oh, well, Detroit really affected me. And you see it get like a lone Best Picture nomination, yep. which would be super weird. I really don't think it will get lone, though. Like, Detroit seems like the kind of movie that could get picture, um, both sounds, and film editing. Or nothing. <laughs> yeah, or, yeah, or, nothing, or, or nothing, yeah. I mean, and let's also bear this in mind, too. Will Poulter is very much a thing right now, as much as everyone thinks Mark Rylance is a thing for Dunkirk. Will Poulter's not getting an acting nomination, though. Ah, uh, he, he is pretty amazing in this movie, I, though. He's not, it doesn't matter. He's not getting a nomination. Yeah. I mean, if the film, for me, justice would be if the cast gets in for Best Ensemble at SAG. That would be good enough for me. I don't need anyone to get an Oscar nomination, 
but I really do need SAG to recognize the work that this ensemble did. Yeah, sure. I mean, sure. <laughs> ah, fine. Fine. <laughs> I don't like the movie, so I can't oh, sign with you. Damn it. you. Oh, you really? Oh, you actually didn't like it? Yeah, I just flat out don't like it. Damn. Okay. The more I think about it, the less I'm on board with it. But I urge people to see it and think for themselves. All right. Uh, so this week's poll question in anticipation for The Glass Castle is which Woody Harrelson performance is your favorite? And I thought it would be good to ask about Woody because there is a little bit of Oscar buzz surrounding his role in this film. Potentially, we don't really know everything yet as reviews have not uh, dropped as of this moment. But based upon the trailers and the year that he's having so far, I thought it would be a good idea to uh, shine, a spy, uh, shine a spotlight on him. And Brie Larson, as great as she is, um, her filmography is just not as long and as varied as Woody's. So I thought this could produce uh, some really, really great um, choices for people to choose from. And just by looking at the list here, I mean, uh, written down, I have uh, The Edge of Seventeen, uh, The Hunger Games, The Messenger, Natural Born Killers, No Country for Old Men. Out of the Furnace, The People vs. Larry Flint, Rampart, Seven Psychopaths, Thin Red Line, War for the Planet of the Apes, White Men Can't Jump, Zombieland, and on top of all that, there is an other option which people can fill out if their choice is not listed there. With that said, uh, does anyone have a particular Woody Harrelson performance that they would consider to be their favorite? I'm so happy you put White Men Can't Jump in there. I love that movie. <laughs> He's always good. Like... He's just such a great screen presence, uh, not just in movies, but on TV, too, going all the way back to Cheers. Yeah, he's good in Cheers. So when you look at just his movies, uh, I don't think I've seen anything that tops uh, People versus Larry Flynn. Yeah, that's his best, for sure. That is, That, that probably is. And you know what's amazing, too, is when you watch him in something like that, and then you move over to his work in something like Zombieland, <laughs> and you move over then to his work in something like Natural Born Killers, the guy is a lot more versatile than I think people give him credit for. He's got it all. Absolutely. He could do comedic, he could do dramatic. I mean, go into his TV work for a minute, too. His work in, like, True Detective, I know Matthew McConaughey got a lot of praise that year. He's great in Harrelson was, like, the unsung hero of that show. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I have to say Zombieland is... <laughs> Zombieland's pretty fantastic. I... Yeah, I, I that was the film that first made me fall in love with Woody Harrelson. Nothing will ever get me in Zombieland as much as that moment when he bites the Twinkie and the look on his face. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that is like one of the most endearing moments in cinema to me, is the joy of eating a Twinkie. I don't think I've ever seen Zombieland. Oh, it's so funny. It, it's really funny. Um, and, and actually very well made, too. Um, it's a very entertaining movie to watch. It's It's not hard or dramatic it's very light and it has probably one of the best cameo performances that any movie has ever done by far and of course i'm referring to bill murray oh yeah <laughs> bill do you have any regrets garfield garfield, garfield maybe garfield maybe <laughs> oh that's so good i love and right before that when jesse eisenberg shows her ghostbusters and he's like well, hold on you're about to learn who you're gonna call ghostbusters <laughs> that bit it's so funny <laughs> so goddamn funny i love that movie so by all means let us know what you guys think is your uh, favorite woody harrelson performance the guy's got so many choices to choose from we definitely want to hear from you go to the weekly poll page on nextbestpicture.com cast a vote there and then this uh, is a good chance for us to move over into uh, talking about i guess the glass castle in general uh how many people here saw short term 12 i did i love short term 12 
Do you guys think that this is going to be equal, inferior? What do you guys think based upon the promotional material that we've seen so far? I think it's a problem that's opening in August this week, and we still don't have any reviews. Yeah. Well, it didn't like do any festivals or anything, so... Right, but you at least want to start some buzz. Like, Florence Foster Jenkins was screening two months ahead of its release. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, and then this is the kind of film that it does feel like if the studio thought it had any Oscar potential, they would have moved it back. Because it, on paper, sounds baity. You know, it's it's an acclaimed book. It's got a good cast. You know, the, the, this seems like, for example, we talked about, could be an easy thing for Woody Harrelson to get a supporting actor nomination for if it's good. So I lean towards... I think it'll be good. It'll probably be like a 60 Rotten Tomatoes, I think. He's playing an alcoholic father. I mean, it's bait when yeah. you when you look at it on paper. Yeah, but re- remember, he also has uh, three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri coming out in November, which could be an You're Oscar play. in the middle play. of my goddamn Easter dinner. Sorry, kids. <laughs> Sorry, I kids. mean, but that's going to be more of... Um, satisfying the entertainment quota this is more so the role that the academy would go for yeah. um, oh of, i don't think so and they buried it what why would this not be the role they go for michael this is like the baitiest role imaginable because even if you have a baity role if the project sort of falls flat well look at stanley tucci and the lovely bones talking about a project that fell flat I guess there is a comparison to draw there because the reason I think Stanley Tucci got that nomination was because he was in Julie and Julia as well. I think the reason why he got it was because his wife died and they had sympathy for him personally. I mean, he's good in that movie. <laughs> he should have gotten it for Julie and Julia, in all honesty. Um, that was the role that he should have been nominated for. Lovely Bones, I, I, I guess maybe because it was the more high-profile film that people had focus on. Uh, um tell you the truth, I really don't like his performance in Lovely Bones that much. Lovely Bones is great. Uh, but moving back to Harrelson, who, by the way, was also nominated that same year as Tucci for The Messenger. Which he's terrific in. He is phenomenal in that movie. Oh, I, I always I always think all the time, there's a line he has in that movie that I quote still to this day, whenever I'm driving, and somebody's like, oh, do you want me to give you uh, directions or whatever the case may be? And I go, no, we're men. We navigate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Men, we navigate. Yeah, I, I, I think that this could, despite the film, even if the film is not like a 90s or on, on Rotten Tomatoes or in the 80s on Metacritic, I still think there is a chance that if he's the one thing that's getting singled out by people in this movie, that could last all the way. Yeah. We will know by Thursday. I don't see anything. I mean, it seems like it's getting buried, though. I think that is a small chance. But honestly, supporting actor this year is going to be jam-packed with... People with overdue veterans, for lack of a better term, as is. So I, I think it's going to need to be very good for him to stick around despite everything. And the fact that they are kind of burying the film does not make me feel optimistic. So it's not going full nationwide. It's not doing uh, 2,000, 3,000 screens in its opening weekend. It's actually only doing about like 1,400, which is still good. It's not that it's opening up in like two theaters, like in New York and in LA. It's uh, it is going to majority of the states here. So, I, I I don't know. I don't know what to make of it. You know, if it, if it's a weepy film and it gets adult audiences talking, uh, it could do respectable box office. So it's tough. It's tough. It's tough to say. It is kind of a shame that nobody's talking about Brie Larson now. Like it, like, it seems like the whole conversation is centered around Woody, and everyone seems to 
I guess, forget in talking about this film, just how phenomenal uh, the collaboration was uh, with Brie Larson and uh, the performance she gave in Short Term 12. Yeah, that, that's sort of what put her on the map. Yeah. It's it, that she should have gotten an Oscar nomination for that film easily. I thought that movie was going to get a best song nomination back in 2013. Oh, for you know what it's like. Yeah, yeah, it's it's so short. I mean, like, and that and that film, I feel like, really got its acclaim after the Oscar season really began to take off in its acclaim, kind of as the Oscar season was wrapping up. You know? Yeah. Like it, it kind of went under the radar during the most crucial times. Um, I, I love, and then uh, what's his, uh, Keith Stanfield is great in that. Oh, yeah. And look at him now. He's really taken off. Yeah, good for him. All right. Trailers. Ooh. We got two trailers. Uh, let's focus on, let's do Novitiate. Uh, this uh, film over here is a period-based drama set in the 60s, um, starring Melissa Leo, Margaret Qualley, a few others. Let's take a look at this one. A nun? Oh, Kathleen. You're a 17-year-old girl. I was called, and I'm going to become a nun, and there's really nothing that you can say that's going to make me change my mind. Good afternoon, all of you. Since, unfortunately, God can't be here to run this convent himself, my voice will serve as a stand-in for his. You'll be spending the next six months as postulants. After that, you'll enter the novitiate. Any questions? Put your hand down, sister. Postulants don't have questions. And you are free to go home. What is this you're reading? Something to do with this Vatican too. Our Pope has suddenly turned himself into some sort of reformer. Well, that's a good thing. Perhaps change is good. You think the church is in need of change? I happen to think the church is perfect the way it is. Are you still encouraging all of your novitiates for extreme acts of penance? I would like you to use the discipline on yourself. That's got to stop. I don't think you really understand what this will do to us. We're not supposed to think about each other because we're not here for each other. We are here only for God. Maybe I could just touch your hand for a second. We're really not supposed to touch like that. What's going on here? She looks like she's dying. I think it's wrong of you to keep us in the dark. The church gave me my work, my community, even my identity. And now the church was trying to invalidate all that, saying none of it matters. So my question is, what is it that really does still matter? So Oscar nomination number three, win number two, anybody? It definitely stands a chance. Uh, she's described it. She might get nominated. I don't think she's winning. She could do the win. I mean, it's described as like a female whiplash. I mean, she could, but I don't know if she, I don't know if she'll pull it off. Wait, you mean like? comparing her performance to something on the level of like a jk simmons in whiplash that sort of thing yeah that's the reviews out of sundance yeah they said she's a cross between meryl streep and dell and jk simmons in whiplash so she's meant to be like a horrifying figure essentially yeah yeah apparently i don't think we're seeing the rage necessarily in this trailer we see more of her playing the meryl streep type but apparently it's a very frightening performance like I, I i mean i remember she's been my predicted win since like january because of those reviews out of sundance so she has a big moment apparently where she's fighting with god on the altar and then having these confrontations with nuns she's sort of doesn't like the changing church in the 60s she wants to stick with the old way of the church and what she knows and it's sort of a battle between her and her religion and all these people are telling her to change when you say fight with god what is, yes. You're talking like a Bobby Cannavale, like cursing God and Boardwalk Empire and the church sort of thing? Or are you talking like 
her actually like destroying the uh, altar or, or like w- like what do you mean by that? Well, your boardwalk empire reference is totally lost on me, so I don't know <laughs> okay, where to go it's from fine. that. Uh, basically, it's like uh, do you, you watch House of Cards, right, Michael? No. Oh, God damn it. Uh, Kevin Spacey basically goes to, like, in a church and, like, has a cars and basically tells God to go fuck himself, essentially. Okay, so it's a ripoff of the West Wing episode. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> Don't go hating on season one of House of Cards, Michael Schwartz. That is an impeccable season. It is. It, anyway, novitiate. <laughs> so, Melissa Leo, I think if the race is open wide enough, she's a former winner. She gave that crazy speech uh, six years ago when she won. So, they know who she is. It all depends on... It all depends on whether or not she turned people off from that moment. What, where, where she, uh, she's like, ah, what, she drops the F-bomb on stage? Yeah. Mm. Oh, my God, there's people up there, tasteless. too. <laughs> <laughs> but clearly, because, yeah, it did seem a little choreographed. Like, I want to say fuck on an awards show. And then I love him. Christian Bale won uh, later on. I love that he, like, referenced, uh, I'm not going to drop the F-bomb. Melissa Leo did that plenty enough, and I've done that a lot in my life. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, and, and let, let's not forget the Consider This campaign. Oh, God. Yes, yeah, it's gonna that's go what I was about to mention. Her uh, infamous Consider campaign where she put out ads of herself in what looked like a photo shoot and standing next to a pool or, and uh, showing cleavage. It was quite the thing back in 2010. I mean, was that because, if I remember correctly, was that simply because the studio was not campaigning her the way that she wanted? Or, like, I don't remember They were doing the a push for the fighter, but I think their big supporting actress push was Amy Adams, and she just sort of went along for the ride. And she decided, you know what, I want to be the forefront of this. So she sort of went her own way and put out her own ads, and I believe The Hollywood Reporter and Variety, and all across the internet, and she won the Oscar. She won everything but BAFTA that year. Yeah, which went to who, Helena Bottom Carter? Yeah, they were uh, they were pretty hard for the King's Speech that year, the Brits. Fuck the King's Speech. <laughs> Fuck the king. Fuck it's the king's a speech. it's a good movie. No, it's, it's not, not a gr- it's not a great one, but it's a good one. Does anyone else, Matt? Do you imagine Josh saying that in like the Hound's voice? Fuck the king's speech. <laughs> <laughs> Game of Thrones <laughs> reference. They always pop up here. Sorry, <sighs> listeners. Anyway, with Novitiate, if she wins, she will join the two timers club of uh, two supporting actress wins that include Shelley Winters, Diana. Oh my God, Diane Weist from. Uh, Bulls over Broadway and Hannah and her sisters. And I believe there's one more. So this has happened before. Maybe it's not for it to happen again. It can happen again. It's very, very possible. Me personally, I think it is a nomination. I don't think it's going to be a win. Who do you think's going in for that win? Uh, right now, I've moved uh, I've moved Mary J. Blige into my winner spot for Mudbound. Nice. That's a good pick. We'll see if they take the Netflix bait. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's going to happen sooner or later. You know, Netflix getting a win somewhere, so. Then you might as well do it now. Like, they're not stopping, so. <laughs> yep. All right, well, Novitiate opens in October, and we'll see what happens. Maybe it's a Melissa Leo play, or maybe it does a lot more, because the film itself got really great notices. She wasn't the only one, so we'll have to wait and see. Absolutely. And now we move over to our second trailer for this week, and it is a big one. It is for one of the big Oscar contenders of this year. We've been waiting to see some footage on this since it premiered earlier this year at Sundance. This is Luca Guadagnino's film, Call Me By Your Name. Mr. Perlman. Thank you so much. So nice. I can show you around. That'd be great. Thank you. 
So what do you do around here? Read books, transcribe music, swim at the river, go out at night. Sounds fun. All right, later. Just watch. This is how we'll say goodbye to us when the time comes. Later. <laughs> Meanwhile, we'll have to put up with him for six long weeks. Muscles are firm. Not a straight body in these statues. They're all curved. Sometimes impossibly curved. And so nonchalant, hence their ageless ambiguity, as if they're daring you to desire them. Oh, to see without my eyes The first time that you is there anything you don't know? Boundless by the time I cry. You only knew how little I know about the things that matter. What things that matter? White noise, what an awful sound. You know what things. You saying what I think you're saying? Feel my feet above the ground. You shouldn't have said anything. And Just pretend you never did. Michael. Mm. <laughs> Why Michael? <laughs> because I had a feeling you were going to just say something like, oh, this looks lovely. I mean, it does. <laughs> uh, you know what? It reminds me of a Romero film oh. from the 70s. Did nice. you say a Romero film? Just very quiet. Uh... <laughs> no. <laughs> I was like, what? Are Army Romero zombified? Yeah, I was like, what Romero film are you Eric watching? Romero. Like Pauline by the Beach. No, yeah, yeah. I just one of those, was like confused I guess, for a yeah. second. <laughs> no, it looks like a combination of that and, of course, uh, Merchant Ivory. You have uh, James Ivory as the screenwriter here. The sole screenwriter now. Yes. So this just looks, uh, you know, like a Matt took the word for me, like a lovely romance. <laughs> um, I, I think it looks fantastic. It looks really good. I'm really, really excited to see it. I, well, let's put it this way. We talked a lot off air about this and I have two things that I have to say about it. One, I don't think it's our best picture winner. I don't either. Two, I personally don't know how I feel now that I see it visually, the on-screen romance of uh, such a younger uh, teenager, not even considered a man with uh, a full-grown man. Well, Timothy Chalamet is 21. Well, he still looks younger. Uh, but isn't he supposed to be, isn't he supposed to be, like, in this movie, like, 16, 17? Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's a reader situation. Like, he's, even if the actor is over 18, he is undeniable, his character is undeniably underage. And as I understand it, we're going to be seeing um, some vivid graphic sex scenes, possibly, in this movie. Uh, I don't know if they're graphic. I think you see a little... I don't think it's, like, blue is the warmest color, but I think it's, like, <laughs> you see a little bit. Okay. I only say this because I'm going off of what word I heard out of Sundance, basically. Um, I, I haven't seen the film. I really don't know. But I could see how that could make people um, slightly uncomfortable. But on the flip side, 
I have absolute trust in Luca Guadagnino that he will be able to uh, take the screenplay that was given to him and be able to direct the actors in such a manner, in such a way that it does feel organic, it feels earned, it feels right. Um, and based upon early word out of Sundance, that seems to be the case. The reader also had something similar and regardless was relatively acclaimed, at least by the Academy. You know, like, this sort of controversy did not hobble it. So I, I'm not sure how unhappy they'll be with the situation. No, yeah, no. I, and I'll tell you this, too. Uh, from a performance standpoint, you know, I don't really think that we get to see everything that everybody was kind of, like, talking about from an acting standpoint uh, with Army Hammer, Timothy Chalamet, Mark uh, Stuhlbarg, uh, Michael Stuhlbarg, sorry, and... Mark's his brother. Yeah, I, I think that that's good, though. I think it's good that they're kind of like withholding on those big, quote unquote, Oscar scenes that everybody seems to be talking about. I'm glad that I'm not being spoiled uh, of that and that hopefully when I see the film as a complete whole, um, those scenes have uh, a much bigger impact on me. Yeah, I agree. Well, the Michael Stilberg scene, from what I understand, is not like a big over the top moment like Viola Davis in Doubt. Like it's just a conversation with his son toward the end of the movie that gets people pretty emotional yeah no and um, like i said i'm glad that we didn't get any voiceover snippets or anything like that at all from it you know what i mean yeah you just see him here and there okay yeah yeah i i I really want that that moment to be preserved so that this way hopefully it can hit me in such a way where i walk out of that theater going michael stubark best supporting actor nomination let's make it happen i hope he wins oh god that'd be so great i love it when a character actor gets there he has done so much since the serious man, he's worked with the Coens, he did Fargo on TV, Spielberg twice, Woody Allen, Scorsese, just so much. He, he's a very, very in-demand character actor that will eventually get his moment in the sun. The question that everybody's wondering right now, though, and that I'm wondering, too, is the placement of the actors in, in actor and supporting actor. I mean, how does everyone have it filled out right now? Yeah, I don't know if, like, is, like, Timothy Chalamet lead or is Army Hammer lead? Yeah, like, Timothy I don't know. Chalamet is... Chalamet is the lead, and I believe Army Hammer is going supporting with Michael Stuhlbarg. I think all three of them get nominated in that instance. Uh, oh, well, actually, I take that back. I, yeah. I, I think supporting, uh, I think double supporting, uh, something tells me Timothy, unless if it's truly, truly, like, mind-blowingly good. Which I've heard it is. Really ra- like, really rally behind it. Uh I can't see it happening. I don't think both Hammer and Stuhlbarg get in. There's no way. They'll pick one or the other. Yeah, that's what I think. Damn. That is so unfortunate. Army Hammer's been on the cusp of a nomination for years. I know. I was just thinking, poor guy. I'm not typically a big Army Hammer fan. Like, I don't think he's been great in a lot of stuff. So I'm excited to watch this. He wanted a nomination so badly, he played two characters a couple years ago. <laughs> I mean, he's great in that. Don't get me wrong, but like, I don't... Ever since I'm then. six foot four, three hundred pounds, and there's two, two of me. <laughs> I'm still one of the people who feels that Jay Edgar he was phenomenal in that. He's all right. He's good in a very strange movie. Uh, what do we think about you know uh, other awards prospects for this? Uh, you know, tell you the truth, outside of best film editing, I really don't feel that this is getting cinematography or anything like that. Maybe score. I, I, I've heard from. I mean, I've heard from people who saw it at Sundance that like it doesn't necessarily showcase in the trailer, but the cinematography is stunning, and that it's the kind of thing that could the critics could fall behind the way they did for James Laxon's cinematography in Moonlight. So. The trailer didn't look 
mind-blowing visually, but I'm not going to count it out in that category. It's a strong field this year, without a doubt, but I, I'm, I'm just going off of word I heard. I think it's contender there. Um, it's unclear to me exactly what um, Sufjan Stevens has provided orchestrally for the film, but if he has created original content, I'm getting conflicting reports and reviews. Beyond the songs, he could be a score contender. And I think at least one, he was like three or four original songs in there. I think at least one, maybe the one from the trailer gets nominated. Yeah, I, uh, I've i heard that his score stands a chance to be disqualified. And if anything, they will go for the song. And he's taken screenplay like all the way. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. I, I mean, Adapted I can't. screenplay is a wasteland. Right now, sight unseen, not knowing anything about these other contenders that are out there right now. Yeah, he's winning. This film has screenplay. In the bag. I mean, how do you not? He's 89 years old, 89 years old, James Ivory. And yeah, it just seems like it's so ready to happen. And he's never won anything. Am I right? Yeah, no, he's, he's very overdue. James Ivory, yeah. He's, he's got a great narrative going for him. Yeah, his movies have won, but I don't think he's taken anything home. No, he's never won. Them giving him sole screenplay credit shows they want that category to be about him. Yeah, this will be his fourth nomination, and his previous three were all for Best Director. Wow. Remains of the Day, Howard's End, and A Room with a View. What a career. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, good for him. Yeah, well, I mean, I pity the person that wins over him at this point, unless if the film is I pity anybody remarkable. that's nominated against him. <laughs> yeah, I feel bad. Too. Let's just nominate James Ivory all fun. <laughs> Okay, um, with that said, um, any other uh, news of the week that anybody uh, wants to comment on? Otherwise, I think we're done. I have a very quick piece that I just saw this morning. Will actually sent it to me about uh, Last Flag Flying, the Richard Linklater mm. film, which apparently was financed by Amazon, but is being released by Lionsgate, similar to what they did with The Big Sick and Cafe Society. But what's notable about this is that apparently it is the last Amazon film to go under this type of release because starting with Wonder Wheel in early December, Amazon will be their own distribution company, just like Annapurna just did with Detroit. That's very interesting. So uh, I don't know if we could say end of an era since it was a very quick era, but (laughs) uh, Lionsgate and Amazon, Last Flag Flying, will open now on November 3rd instead of November 17th. And, I mean, it looks to be a pretty big contender for um, the sound of it. I will be seeing it at the New York Film Festival. Very shortly, September 28th. Yes, yes, indeed. Very, very excited. Anything else? Yeah, um, G-Kids acquired Mary and the Witch Flower, um, which is from the director of... A couple of previous uh, Best Animated Film nominees, since we've started getting more interesting contenders. So we don't know how the change in voting is going to affect this category. If allowing everyone to vote is going to give us, like, Oscar nominee The Boss Baby and Captain Underpants now. Or if films some smaller distributors like G-Kids are still going to get in. But this category is a wasteland this year. I know... uh, Someone on the show wants Lego Batman to get in, but... Uh, hey, hey, hey. That's the best animated movie I've seen so far this year. It is good. I actually really like it. Um, but, so, that could maybe make this presumably wasteland of a category a little bit stronger. I still think Coco wins, but that'll be interesting. 
Uh, Greta Gerwig's directorial debut, Lady Bird, gets a release date for this November from A24, so that could be a contender. Um, has anyone heard the short film that's gone viral called In a Heartbeat? Yes. I oh, watched so it. Good. It is so good. It's so good. <laughs> Will it qualify for Best Animated Short Film? If it does, it wins. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's. I think we've seen our first big contender there and maybe our likely winner. So I, I don't know what would disqualify it. It was made by college students. Yeah. Which is one of them was like an intern at uh, Jib Jab, so it's yeah, it's it's got an interesting background, but I think it's got a lot of eyes on it that will help it when it comes to voting. Um, Tom Brady's what getting Tom Brady is getting a film about what is described as the inspiring victory at this year's Super Bowl <laughs> which as a um, as an Atlanta native I see that more as a, uh, a horror film or a <laughs> tragedy disaster film but the screenwriters from Finest Hours are doing 12 about Tom Brady in the 2017 Super Bowl so <laughs> kill me why is it not just a biopic on Tom Brady <laughs> I, I don't know, but apparently they want to focus specifically on this game. So that's weird that they I would think focus just, on the game and not like his career. He has like one of the most successful football careers of anybody. Like, you would think they would just do a Brady film. Yeah. No I mean, idea there why. is you know some controversy there, obviously, with you know the cheating scandal that the occurred. Gate, yeah. So it could create for some good drama as a, as far as a comeback sports story is concerned. But why? Yeah, this is <laughs> that's too so weird. Recent and too. I wonder who's gonna play Trump. I wonder who's yeah right. Ah. Uh, Who's gonna play Brady? Brady? <laughs> yeah, it's it's just they're just poking us Atlanta fans, you know, like repeatedly, like in our wound and I bet kind you of like wiggling that, it uh, around. I bet you like that Nike commercial then. Oh, god damn it. Um <laughs> so Brian Cranston and Kevin Hart's remake of the Untouchables has been renamed The Upside and it has Blah. a March release date. Uh, I can see we have some passionate support from others on the show, given the, the vomiting sound effects. But my love for it is enough to make up for this uh, nonsense over here, as the movie was filmed in my city. Oh my god! Oh my god! Every as long as it's in Philly, Michael Shorts will love anything. Plus, I just love the original. So I like the original too. That's why I don't want a remake. I'm a big Cranston fan, so I mean, I think we're all big Cranston fans, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you know the pro the the projects that he's choosing are of quality or of his acting caliber just look at why him the man's old he just wants to get paid this was such a big deal here that when they were filming philadelphia had kevin hart day <laughs> which is now a city-wide holiday every year jesus christ i need to know this how do you always know this stuff about uh stuff that's filming in your area at like do you get like a newsletter from like the governor of philadelphia telling you like what's going on in the entertainment sector well, I read the newspaper and I know that it's happening, but Philadelphia Film Society is great about telling everyone where the filming is happening and getting people to come to the area. Philadelphia used to be the big hub for filming, but then with, for tax reasons, they all went to Georgia. And uh, now they're starting to come back to Pittsburgh and Philadelphia is trying to become a big place, too. I love that you and Will have like kind of like a territorial like war going on right now. <laughs> oh, I like that. Yeah, George is, George is infinitely better. Let's be clear. Hey. <laughs> Well, if it weren't for Philadelphia, there would be no country, so there you go. 
So what's your... Yeah. <laughs> Over. <laughs> Actually, yeah, you know what? When I start looking back at Atlanta historically, if we're, if we're taking that route, I'm not sure I want to back my city too much. I think Is I'll that why you, you're moving to L.A., Will? Yeah, I, I think I'll let you take this one, Michael. could put me in a very uncomfortable situation. <laughs> ben Franklin and Silver Linings Playbook. Can't go wrong there. Yeah, what, what do I throw back at Michael? Gone with the wind? Like, this could go very badly. <laughs> Um, all right, so speaking of release dates, uh, Annihilation is getting a February 2018 release date. Mm-hmm. So we officially know it will not be coming out this year. Uh, you know, I'm I'm intrigued by it. I'm so excited. Could be the best film of February, but that's not saying much. What? It's just weird that they pushed it back. You know, I've heard... Do it people not done. like Ex Machina? It's not that. It's just that this film has not been te- uh, testing well. Yeah. What? So there, there's been a lot of concern about it. tested it. wonderfully. <laughs> I don't know what reports you're reading. I read an article like, a couple months back that it tested wonderfully. But then why did they wait to release it for like a year and a half? I don't fucking know. I don't run the studios. It, you know what I mean though, Josh? Like, no, it, yeah, it, it sounds weird. like it's a hit. They I'm just dare. a big Alex Garland fan. I just want to watch it. <laughs> I am too. Although he always drops the ball on his, not always, often drops the ball on his third axe, which drives me crazy. You're insane. Yeah, that's but, true. You're insane. Uh, Speaking of more release dates, Una, that film that kind of disappeared after the fall festival circuit. Oh, yeah, based on the play Blackbird. I feel like I've been hearing about this movie for two years, and I still haven't seen it. Everyone thought it was going to get a release date last fall and make Ben Mendelsohn an Oscar contender, maybe Rooney Mara, and then it just disappeared because it got kind of, not bad, but kind of mixed reviews on the festival circuit, and it's finally getting a fall release date, so... You know, Thank God. one or two of them could be a dark horse contender. Well, speaking of dark, that is a very dark play, so I'm interested to see the movie. Damien Chazelle is back, baby, and this time he is teaming up with the director of the Point Break remake. Boo. Um, Catherine Bigelow. No, 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 the remake. The remake. Uh, Erickson Kaur. Um, it's, so it's, it's like a kidnapping thriller. Kind of a odd direction for him to go. So this is one of Damien Chazelle's screenwriting credits, basically? Yeah, yeah, he, he wrote the screenplay, okay. and then this guy's directing it. I mean, listen, he wrote the screenplay for 10 Cloverfield Lane, and that turned out okay, so... Yeah, well, yeah. I like 10 Cloverfield Lane. He wrote, like, the last 10 minutes, you know, like, which... Yeah, it's... I don't know. I, I like Chazelle. This, it's an odd choice for a Damien Chazelle film, though. You know, if it's a kidnapping movie, he's probably going to retrieve the best picture for La La Land. Ah! Uh, Blumhouse and DreamWorks are making an animated horror film called Spooky Jack. I'm so excited. Uh, Just that concept sounds fantastic. (laughs) Scott Cooper of Out of the Furnace and Crazy Heart fame is directing uh, a hellhound on his trail about the massive manhunt for the... uh, the FBI launched after James Earl Ray killed MLK and went on the run. So that's Scott Cooper's next film. That sounds interesting. Yeah. I'm not buying it. He still has yet to make a great movie, in my opinion. Really? Crazy Heart's pretty good. Yeah, Crazy Heart's really good. It's good, but it's not great. Uh, yeah, uh, that, and that, that's an interesting story. I mean, it'll... We'll see. Yeah. Uh, and then finally, you know, I keep bringing up Chaos Walking, Demian Bashir... Academy Award nominee Damien Bashir is has joined Chaos Walking, which again is just assembling a great cast. I hope Charlie Kaufman can make it better than the usual YA fare. And because I have been in the middle of nowhere for the last nine days traveling across the U.S., 
Um, that's all the news I have for you. Yeah, that was good enough. Uh, we really appreciate you gathering it all together there, Will, as always. Guys, that's going to do it there for episode 50. Any reflective final thoughts before we bounce out of here? I would like to add one thing, considering it's our 50th episode. And Matt, we haven't discussed this before. I'm just doing it off the cuff. So, everyone. Michael Shorts is quitting. <laughs> <laughs> I am looking right now at my first set of Oscar predictions that I sent when we started this a year ago. Oh, my God. Would you like to hear a few picks really quickly? I would. <laughs> so, my predictions for best picture were La La Land, Billy Lynn's Long Halftime Walk, Manchester by the Sea, The Birth of a Nation, Oh man! Silence, Fences, Loving, Arrival, Allied, and Sully. Allied. <laughs> oh my god. And then just cherry picking here, uh, I had Nate Parker winning Best Director. Oh jeez. I had that too. Miles Teller for Bleed for This was in my Best Actor lineup, with Brian Cranston winning for Wakefield. Which, uh, yeah, got released this year, actually. Uh, Jessica Chastain was number two in Best Actress for Miss Sloan, but Viola Davis would win Lead Actress for Fences. Oh, yeah. Uh, Liam Neeson was going to take Supporting Actor for Silence, but if it wasn't him, it would be either Steve Martin for Billy Lynn or Warren Beatty for Rules Don't Apply. (laughs) And then finally, in Supporting Actress, it was Michelle Williams to win all along, but underneath her we have Kristen Stewart for Billy Lynn's Long Halftime Walk, Felicity Jones for A Monster Calls, and Aja Naomi King for The Birth of a Nation. Whew. How much changes in a year? Wow. Wow. 50 episodes in, and that's where we started. Michael, I respect, for you, I respect you humbling yourself and, uh, and sharing your errors with us. It's a very noble <laughs> thing to do. So just a reminder to everyone out there, it's August. Don't take your predictions so seriously. Why so serious? Indeed. Everybody. God damn it. <laughs> Although, I think we can all agree that Dunkirk is obviously a film that's going to last the whole way. And Detroit could possibly, although that's on shaky ground. And, of course, there's other films from the uh, earlier part of the year. Uh, Big Sick is still involved. Get Out is still involved. With the difference in the Academy this year, we don't know how things are necessarily going to shake up. But I think we are in for quite a surprising year i would say something tells me this is going to be the year where we make our predictions based upon the precursors golden globe sag so on and so forth and then when the actual nominations are released we're all going to be scratching our heads unlike we've ever scratched them before yeah i think that's going to happen and it might be another year where uh, the rules are broken we might see a december best picture winner once again because looking at october and november and what we have at telluride Nothing seems to really jump out as a front runner right now. So, are you saying the rules don't apply? <laughs> I'll let you have that one. Oh, uh, get this. So, uh, speaking of Get Out, Get Out is officially far and away the most profitable film of the year, uh, having taken in two hundred seventeen million in profits or a six hundred thirty percent return on investment. That's incredible. That's incredible. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. That's amazing. All right. Well. Mr. Josh Williams, where can they find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Josh underscore Williams 09. Michael Schwartz. On Twitter at Mike Movie. It's been a pleasure being here over the past 50 episodes. Will Mavity. Find me on Twitter at Mavericks Movies, and this time next week I will 
presumably, unless I get in a car crash, be recording to you from Los Angeles. And, of course, at a three-hour time difference, you will be butt-ass tired. God damn it. Yeah, join the club. <laughs> and you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you from the bottom of all of our hearts, everyone. 50 episodes in. We have no intention of stopping. We have a whole Oscar award season ahead of us in the next couple of months. Be sure to keep on listening, sending in your questions, your feedback on iTunes. We really, really appreciate everything that you have done for us and how far we have come along. You can subscribe to the Next Best Picture podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, Player FM, TuneIn, and CastBox. Be sure to leave us that review. Let us know what you think. Once again, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. We will see you all next time. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.